This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, And today to explain to us what has happened with the new Brexit situation and the Northern Ireland Protocol, Neil Richmond, Minister of State at the Department of Enterprise. Thank you so much for joining me, Neil. So Brexit is done. <laughs> Rishi Sunak got Brexit done, apparently yesterday. Um, what happened and what does it mean for Northern Ireland? What does it mean for the Republic of Ireland? Well, Brexit isn't done. Sorry to burst the bubble. Brexit won't be done for at least a generation. But this stage of Brexit, we hope... The, stu- the part that we were stuck at. The latest... the re- Yeah, the real sticking point in relation to how Brexit impacts Northern Ireland mm-hmm. and therefore the Republic, the wider EU and Great Britain, we have got a deal and a resolution in the past number of days after weeks and months of negotiation. So the sticking point had been the implementation of the Northern Irish Protocol. Businesses in Northern Ireland weren't able to get certain goods from Great Britain because they were subject to checks, because they were leaving Great Britain and entering into Northern Ireland, which had the rules of the single market, so therefore had to all the goods had to be up to the European standards and you had to check that they were up to standards. Um, So a lot of things has happened since the protocol came into place to make it work more easily. The European Union changed its own law to recognise British medicines to make sure that Northern Irish companies could access, and Northern Irish patients more importantly, could access British-made medicines without having any issue. Um, But there were a small number of products coming in from Great Britain that were being held up. Things like um, seed potatoes, um, fertiliser for gardeners, peat moss, uh, plant material, which... For certain businesses, having trouble getting those goods in from Great Britain were extremely restrictive. For certain individuals, that was extremely restrictive. But equally, if you are a unionist who sees themselves as British, this was a massive red flag that your Britishness was somehow being watered down. So imagine you're a unionist who wants a British seed potato and you're annoyed because your British seed potatoes are being held up at the port. What is it about British seed potatoes that stops them being okay to be in Northern Ireland? Well, it doesn't matter if you're a unionist or a nationalist. You were having issues importing seed potatoes, which meant you are having massive issues creating chips for fish and chip shops. We all love fish and chips. We all love chips. And the issue was the seed potatoes had to be subject to checks because they were goods that if British if seed potatoes weren't matching European standards, they could have a very negative impact on the European single market and the, the food atmosphere or whatever it was called so it wasn't that you couldn't get them but they were subject to checks but companies who exported from Great Britain to Northern Ireland these seed potatoes and many other goods um, were going like well it's not worth our hassle filling in these forms it's not worth our hassle uh, meeting all the demands so we would have seen Marks and Spencers um, who were a UK company obviously the outlets here in the Republic the outlets in loads of European countries and you think about it but goods that they prepared in Great Britain, it wasn't worth their hassle then sending them into Northern Ireland because they needed to fill in extra forms that were costly and required inspections. Now, these checks and inspections were there for good reason. The British government and the European Commission negotiated a really hard Brexit. So Britain um, had very, has in the overall withdrawal agreement, the overall deal, Britain has a very skinny deal with the EU. And that requires checks. And there's massive checks if you are um, if you're importing goods from Great Britain into the Republic. Dublin Port is doubled in size to accommodate checks. Same with Ross Lair. Now, most businesses in Northern Ireland were still able to get those goods. But mm-hmm. they were able to get them from the Republic or they were able to get them for continental Europe. In many cases, um, you know, a lot of the goods they were getting for cheaper and they're getting them quicker, but not certain goods. But it fed in more widely 
the real issue wasn't the economic breakdown. They were isolated incidents. But the real issue was unions were feeling we can't get full access to our British single market. Our Britishness is being diluted. This is the po- this is the issue with us. And that meant that there was a fall off in terms of the protocol. That then kicked into Westminster, where Boris Johnson, as prime minister, decided to use Brexit as a weapon, as mm-hmm. a political tool. Um, if in doubt, he was struggling under COVID inquiries or whatever else, have a kick at the EU, pick a row over the Northern Irish Protocol, over French fishermen um, and fisherwomen, or you know migrants crossing the channel from, mm-hmm. from France. Um, Liz Truss continued that. Obviously, Boris Johnson left government in a, in a blaze of shame, I suppose. Um, Liz Truss continued that. And when Rishi Sunak came back in, to his credit, um, he decided, we can't continue this. We need to have a mature relationship between the EU and the UK. And in order to get that relationship better on, on a much better basis, we need to sort out the implementation of the protocol. So what's happened over the last weeks and months is European Commission officials and British civil servants have negotiated a number of changes addressing the concerns of the unionist community. Um, so what we'll see going forward is the creation of a red and green lane. So a green lane means if you're sending goods into Northern Ireland from Great Britain that are staying in Northern Ireland, they're not going on into the Republic or they're not going down to Ross and over to France, they don't need checks. Mm-hmm. Okay, even if they're potatoes? Even if they're potatoes, even if they're ice cream whitener, even if they're okay. chlorinated chicken cars. But what you do need to do is share, the British government needs to share real-time data. And they reached agreement on that a couple of weeks ago. So that was a real key mover in this. If they are going on into the into the Republic or if they're going to go into France or wherever else, they need to go through a red lane and they need to be subject to checks. That's about 3% of goods, as I mentioned. Okay. Other than that, um, everything else, it's much easier for businesses. It's much easier for the emotional thing. The second element of what the what is known as the Windsor Framework in terms of the implementation of the protocol. The protocol is not going anywhere. It's not being scrapped. These are changes within the protocol. It's the creation of a stormant break. This means if the European Commission, uh, the European Union, creates new standards, new rules that are different to British standards or rules, um, rather than just, and if Northern Ireland has an issue with applying those standards, then they can apply what's known as a break. That requires at least 30 MLAs, um, no party has 30 MLAs at the moment. That's yeah. neither here nor there. And it's based on the petition of concern that we would have under the Good Friday Agreement. They can call halt and this can go into an arbitra- arbitration mechanism and has to be discussed and implemented. It's giving Northern Irish politicians a greater say in what's going on in their economy. Fundamentally, a good thing. But at the moment, there are no Northern Ireland politicians. I mean, there are, but Stormont isn't. It's not and This sitting. is the, the key thing. Getting the deal between the British government and the European Commission was... It wasn't as as unexpected as many would like to play out. Um, this will pass through Westminster. The Labour Party have said they'll support it. The Scottish National Party have said they'll support it. Um, the vast, vast majority of Conservative government MPs will support this. There will be maybe 12 in what's known as the European Research Group, the really extreme anti-Brexiteers who ironically voted for the protocol in the first place. They might oppose this because they oppose... Where are they? Where are they? They're Brexit. These these are the likes of Bill Cash, Andrew Bridge, and they're not in Northern Ireland. They're not in Northern yes. Ireland. They're, I don't think many of them have ever been to Northern Ireland. Okay. They are hardcore Euro skeptics, COVID deniers. They are a very very extreme bunch. They've been called lots of different things. Spartans. They bedeviled Theresa, Theresa May. They propelled Boris Johnson to power. They aren't what they once were. In fact, two of their previous leading lights are now the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland and the Minister of State for Northern Ireland who are responsible for selling this deal. Oh, wow. So that's smart politics by Rishi Sunak to his credit. But the real question is, 
whether or not this will lead to the restoration of the institutions in Northern Ireland. What happened in Northern Ireland that brought so it down? So the DUP refused, uh, they collapsed Stormont about 12, 12, 14 months ago because they felt the protocol was uh, undermining the status of Northern Ireland within the United Kingdom. What they first did is they, they stopped cooperating on a North-South basis. Um, North-South Ministerial Councils, really not a good idea when we are still in the grips of the COVID pandemic. So just for people listening, the DUP are, they're a unionist party. They're they, the biggest unionist party. The Democratic Unionist Party, led by Sir Geoffrey Donaldson, they are the political uh, brainchild of the late Dr. Ian Paisley. So they um, are... They, they are hardcore unionists. Loyalists. They are hardcore loyalists. They are extremely socially conservative. They believe um, that they're British. They believe they are British and they are, they are they British. British. They have British passports and we recognise that under the Good Friday Agreement. But they've had a huge issue with this, as have elements within loyalism, the former paramilitaries, the Loyalist Community Council, a very malign group, to be honest. Taking a break from the show to tell you about our sponsor, humdingermortgages.ie, your new gaff without the faff. Humdinger are an award-winning mortgage brokerage and they specialise in finding the right mortgage for you. The best part is that you deal with the broker and they deal with every major bank in the Irish market so you don't have to trawl around talking to loads of people. They also make the best recommendation on what's the best way to proceed for you specifically. And they stay at your side to help you at every step of the way, from application to drawing down your mortgage. They're in the mortgage business, right? Not the application business. They have absolutely no interest in putting you through the ringer and getting you to fill out loads of forms without getting a mortgage at the end. And they're really honest from the get-go about what the problems might be with your application. But then they don't abandon you. They will stay by your side and give you the best advice on how to make sure that you are successful the next time you apply. They specialise in helping first-time buyers, people looking to trade up and people like me who are looking to save ourselves some money by switching our mortgage for a better rate. And like for me, I'm going to switch my mortgage. I'm working with Humdinger because like a reduction of even 0.5% on my mortgage rate can save me like 30 grand in interest over the whole term of my mortgage. Mortgages are the biggest financial decision you are ever going to make. So take advantage of speaking to experts and go to humdingermortgages.ie to begin your journey. Is this why we're seeing more sort of unrest up there now as well? Like Definitely feeding into it. Okay. Feeding into it. Um, but it's been deliberate. We would have seen about a, a year or 14 months ago, we would have seen these anti-protocol rallies in the snow, really horrible language from the platform, effigies of Leo Vladkar, Simon Coveney, Michal Martin, um, active um, death threats against Leo Vladkar from loyalist so, paramilitaries. Who so why are they so threatened by RT Shock? Because they feel like we're trying to have a united Ireland and they... Not, not really. They... they they, they like to have a bogeyman. They need to have someone to blame for socio socio and economic decline in Northern Ireland. That and they won't ever look to the UK for an or issue. Or themselves. Okay. Because they see themselves as British. But very easy, much like Boris Johnson, if he wanted to go ahead in the polls, have a row with Brussels for a unionist, have a row with Dublin. You know, use, say that, well, if, if Enda Kenny and Bertie Hearn were still there, we wouldn't have these issues because we don't like Leo Varadkar. We don't like Simon Coveney. They really don't like me at times okay. um, because you're speaking truth and you're being honest with them and straight with them. Brexit is a bad idea. The people who p- push Brexit the hardest in Northern Ireland were the hardcore unionists. Not all unionists push Brexit. Political unionists, mm-hmm. a lot of the Ulster Unionist Party backed Remain, voted for Remain. I think, I'm not sure the exact party stance, but certainly their leadership all called for a Remain vote because... Brexit causes huge issues for Northern Ireland's place in the UK. So 12 to 14 months ago, the DUP 
They collapsed Stormont. They collapsed Stormont, which is the Northern Ireland version this, of this was the dollar after or Westminster. They had their own sort of midlife crisis and they changed leader three times in the space of 20 days. Okay. Um, they had Arlene Foster for a long, long time. She was shafted by a group led by Edwin Poots and Ian Paisley Jr. Edwin Poots lasted about 20 days as leader. And then Sir Geoffrey Donaldson, who's been an MP since the 90s, former Ulster Unionist, left them because he didn't agree with the Good Friday Agreement, has now come forward as the leader of the DUP. So they collapsed Ormond. We've had elections since. We had elections in May, which for the first time saw um, a Nationalist Party, Sinn Féin, be the biggest party, so therefore have first dibs on being first minister. Um, and a unionist party is now the second party. And there's still more unionists in Stormont and there's still more unionists voting uh, for MLAs than nationalists. But there's the twin track that they weren't happy with how protocol was impacting Northern Ireland. And then they weren't happy that Sinn Féin... They weren't happy Sinn Féin won the election. Won the election. Um, and that's led to a massive standoff. It means we haven't had a functioning executive for well over a year People in Northern Ireland haven't been able to access the same post-COVID recovery funds as people in Great Britain. They haven't been able to access the same amount of cost of living measures. There are strikes in every sector in Northern Ireland, um, from teachers to nurses to everything else. There's huge issues there. The British economy, more widely, is in dire straits, largely because of Brexit. Um, But that's happening in Northern Ireland too. But whilst the British government have a functioning government to try and deal with those issues, deals with those issues, and we're facing our own challenges here, not half as severe as the UK, but we have a functioning government to implement measures, whether you agree with them or not, at least there's measures that can be implemented. Northern Ireland doesn't have that. This is how it's always been. Double Love is a podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High, book by book. Join me, Anna Carey. And me, Karen Moynihan as we revisit one of the maddest series of books ever written or ghostwritten. If you ever read about Elizabeth and Jessica, the perfect blonde Wakefield twins, then you might enjoy listening to us absolutely tearing them to shreds. Affectionately, of course. Of course. And even if you didn't, there's still plenty of drama, kidnapping, stolen boyfriends and school dances to entertain you. Find us on the Headstuff Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts. What is it going to take to get them, like, if... They just will not go into government with Michelle Neal. Some of them won't. Um, that's true. And unionists won't be happy with that. Um, and that's a natural reaction. But if you've signed up to democracy, that's, that's tough. That's tough, yeah. You know? um, am I happy that Sinn Féin are the biggest party in it all? No, but I accept it. Yes. And re- respect and recognise their mandate. In terms of whether or not we can see an executive after this, I think we can. Um, the DUP have taken this Windsor framework away to reflect on First two voices out of the DUP, Ian Paisley Jr. and Sammy Wilson, said they weren't sure about it. They're not happy with it. They don't think it it cuts the mustard with Sir Ian Paisley Jr.'s uh, stance. They are such the, a vague term, like being, deliberately so. Yes, deliberately okay. so. He hasn't read it. It's a four hundred page document. It's a ridiculously complex document. In the space of two hours, there was n- he, there was no way he's he comprehensive about yeah. it. I have read it twice. I'm still getting my head around it. I've been talking about Brexit for seven years. I do have a day job now as a minister that's completely separate <laughs> to this. But Quite a significant As one. the Minister of Retail, this will really impact it on employment mm-hmm. as well. So I still have a reason to be invested in this, but you also can't leave behind an issue that you spent seven years focusing on overnight. Yeah. Um, so there, there's no way that Ian Paisley Jr. or Sammy Wilson, who were on British media in the last couple of days, you know, pouring cold water in this deal, there's no way they've... Um, concretely read this they weren't involved in the negotiations they weren't the key negotiators um, 
they will take away and if they accept this deal I think it will be a good thing the British government's behind this the European Commission's behind us all parties in the Republic have come out to back it um, not all the Northern Irish parties the Alliance Party are reflecting on this the very moderates in Northern Ireland the centre ground who don't identify as either nationalists or unionists the STLP have broadly welcomed it but they want to go through the detail and that is understandable and normal mm-hmm. everyone needs to take the next week or two to go through a really dense uh, legal and political framework but it all falls on the DUP. They have the key to unlocking this stage of the Brexit malaise, which has bedeviled the post-Brexit carry-on since um, the British government triggered Article 50. They can unlock that. They can see an executive restored, an assembly back sitting in Stormont, giving the people of Northern Ireland, unionist nationalists otherwise, a voice to try and impact their issues. It's a big decision because ultimately if the DUP were to reject this, I don't know where they'll go because I think the British government will still plough ahead with this. Um, does that mean we get more elections in Northern Ireland? Does that mean um, devolution has failed? Is this the DUP giving up on the whole notion of devolved governments in Northern Ireland? They're big theoretical and philosophical questions the DUP are now facing. into. So there's no point rushing them or needling them or badgering them on this. Let them reflect on it. Let them make the decision. But ultimately... It is in their interest, and more importantly, the interests of the people they represent, the people in Tigers Bay with a really high level of school dropout, really high levels of poverty. It's in their interests to get Northern Ireland back up and working. Ironically, this agreement gives Northern Ireland opportunities that Great Britain doesn't have. Full access to the European single market, full access to the British single market. There are companies around the world who are looking at Northern Ireland going, we want to invest there. We want to set up offices there. Some of the big four accountancy firms have doubled, trebled their workforce in Belfast because this, this is a window. It's going to be, yeah, like this the, is potentially the huge uh, for Northern Ireland. And Northern Ireland, since I, I'd argue partition, has never had that economic opportunity. Remember Northern Ireland 100 years ago was far more successful than the rest of the island. Mm-hmm. It had... Harland and Wolf building ships like the Titanic. Um, it had the whiskey industry, the linen industry. Not, Not their, their best. best. You know, big <laughs> iceberg, doesn't matter how big the ship is. They built lots of other big, impressive ships. Um, but there was industry, there was Bombardier, there was big factories in Northern Ireland that we didn't have in the rest of the island. Yeah. Um, and this is an opportunity now, because if Northern Ireland does really well out of the protocol, that's good for the entire island. Mm-hmm. That provides more econo- economic opportunities for everyone. It gives people... Who it's kind of scary, though, that is this all down to the DUP now? Or can we can can they plough ahead even if they're going to get belligerent about it? Like the deal, I, I can't see the deal, deal not going ahead at this stage. The British government can plough ahead at this. They've agreed with the European Commission. They're going to put it to a vote in Westminster. One or two elements need my mild um, domestic legislative tweaks in the UK. This is going to pass with a huge majority mm-hmm. in Westminster. Um but if the D, but then the real issue to unleash the potential is you need a functioning executive because investors, not just the people in Northern Ireland, but investors need stability. If you're going to commit a couple of hundred million euro and hiring 500 people in Lurgan, you want to know that there's going to be a functioning government. Um, you look back at the 80s and we were having really bad recessions down here. Having three general elections in the space of 18 months between between either before either of us were born, between mm-hmm. eighty one and eighty two, really hammered the Irish an already struggling Irish economy. Um, whatever shape or form of government we've had, having a government in for the full five years is good for an economy. Um, it's it means you can plan accordingly as an investor, and then ultimately your tax returns will go feed the rest of society for building houses and hospitals and whatever else. 
Neil Richmond, thank you so much. So we know now that this has been, um, you know, agreed by Rishi Sunak, but we're waiting now to see if Westminster pass it, which we think they will, and what the DUP are going to do. Basically, so all eyes on the DUP for the next two weeks. Great. Minister Neil Richmond, thank you so much. That is another episode of Basically. Our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahalo Garo. We're produced today by Julie Hassett, and we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.